Hello and welcome to the England Rugby Podcast of O2 Inside Line. This week it's myself, Hugo Monnier, and our man in camp, Paul Bunker, bringing you the podcast. In this episode, Paul chats to the man behind one of the new faces lining up for England. One of the things that she sort of really passed on to me was just how passionate she was about England. You know, she lived a large portion of her life in New Zealand, but there was no mistaking where she was from and what she was about. And, you know, she was a very proud English woman and we used to sit down and watch a lot of rugby together as well. We get to know England scrum half, Willie Hines. And Moss has just started rugby as well, so he's, he's just had his first game in the weekend. We tried to take him along to football, actually. They just kept picking it up the whole time, so oh, yeah, absolutely delighted with that. As well as getting to know Willie better, Ben Youngs has a bit of fun with Rory McConaughey. And music, who's playing? We'll go the Foo Fighters acoustic set. Wow. Do you reckon yeah. they'll keep the noise down though? I can't I imagine think, it. But I think, yeah, I think they'll just keep raising. I think yeah. by the end of the night, they've got Love's Top Off. It'll be incredible. <laughs> and keep listening until the end of the show to find out how you can win a signing the shirt from the players. But right now, let's get into it. Here's what happened when Paul met Willie Hines. So, Willie, first of all, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. We're looking forward to having a bit of a chat about you and your history and your past as well. So, let's start with New Zealand then. Can you give us a bit of, give us an idea of your upbringing? Yep, so, uh, born and raised in Christchurch in New Zealand, which is in the South Island on the East Coast. Relatively big city for New Zealand standards, about 400,000 people there. Pretty passionate rugby city as well. Canterbury and the Crusaders are the the teams there, so... um, I guess in some ways similar to Gloucester where I've ended up, but grew up there um, and lived there until we moved to Gloucester at the tender age of 28, I think I was at the time, something like that. I've got four sisters and a brother, mum and dad there. I'm the youngest of, of the family and then met my wife in Christchurch as well. We were at Teachers College, met her there and then a few years down the track we've got three kids, two girls and a boy. Girls are 12 and 8 and uh, Moss, my son, is 5. So they were all born in, in Christchurch as well. And yeah, just grew up, always mad passionate about all sorts of different sports. Was it a crazy kind of day and day out sport running around like we kind of think most people in New Zealand was it like that? Yeah, a little bit. I was probably the black sheep of the family. I don't come from a massive, massively sporting family. My dad's a, a jazz musician, um, so if you throw a ball at him, it'll probably hit him in the <laughs> face. Um, mum was kind of sporty at school, but yeah, I was sort of the one that, um, for whatever reason, um, was was pretty attracted to sport at a young age and, and got stuck into everything, really. Mm. Tennis, cricket, golf, athletics, swimming, rugby, touch, all sorts. And you know, I was lucky enough to go to schools that gave gave me the opportunity to to get stuck into everything as well and they sort of didn't push you into one thing or other they just encouraged you to to get stuck into all sorts which was cool no music you kind of obviously with your dad being a jazz was that what he was by trade as well that was his job was it was yeah yeah so he's he's a pretty awesome jazz guitarist and as a as a tutor at the or was I think he's still doing a little bit of part time he's getting on a bit now but um, at the the jazz school in Christchurch there so he was like massively and in, obviously into music but he never forced me into learning instruments or the guitar or anything like that um, he was just always encouraging of, of whatever I was into I sort of had a little bit of a dabble with guitar and trumpet and bass for a bit but it just wasn't really my thing. I never really picked it up. Um, sort of naturally, like like here. Do you play the like guitar now? Just like kind of socially, like yeah. pick up on a goose stick and whack a few chords and play with your kids or something like that. Yeah, a little bit. I've got a guitar that Dad bought me a few years back, and I have a little bit of a play around in it. But I'm mm. I'm hopeless, really, to be honest. I'd love I'd love to be better. It would be great being in a rugby team, being able to be the the lead guitar man uh, with all the sing-alongs and stuff that we have. But unfortunately, not. So uh, at school, were you kind of were you kind of into the academics and stuff, or were you kind of sport and sport from an early age? Yeah, it was. 
was it was pretty much sport the whole time. I think by the time I got to high school, I was I was going to school to eat my lunch and and play sport. Really, um, I did all right. Like I, I passed all the things I needed to pass. You know, once I got to uh, year eleven, twelve, and thirteen, when you sort of have to start getting serious. But certainly wasn't a, an amazing academic at all. But um, you know, sport was was my big thing. And again, like I said before, I was I was encouraged with that at school as well. And we had a, an awesome teacher. I know. A lot of people say you sort of have that one teacher growing up kind of really influences you. I had that and a guy, Warwick Taylor, who was a, he was an all-black actually, but he was an awesome PE teacher at school and he was just really encouraging of, of us, you know, following our passions, following our dreams and he's a guy I've stayed in touch with, um, you know, right throughout my career as well, which is cool. Burnside High School, right? Is that Burnside right? High School, that's it. Yep. Done a bit of research, Willie. Nice we spoke one. to a few people there and there's a story about you. You were a prefect and then you weren't a prefect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little bit controversial. So you have, uh, when I was at school, it was uh, year 11, 12, and year 13 is your last year. So you have year 12 prefects and you have year 13 prefects. And I was lucky enough to be selected as a prefect in year 12. And the natural progression, providing you shine your shoes and don't don't do anything stupid, is you become a prefect in year 13 off the back of that. But it was the last day of year 12, and me and a couple of my mates decided that it would be a good idea to jump the school pool fence and have a celebratory swim on the last day of school which doesn't sound like the end of the world but you know health and safety regulations <laughs> as they are these days or or even were back then um it wasn't looked on too fondly by yeah. the uh the principal at the time so we got the badges taken off us which was uh, a little bit of a shame but never mind yeah yeah <laughs> worth, worth it to cool off having an all black what was that like how did that inspire you as, as, as a young man because you know we're all looking for idols when we're sort of 12 13 14 years old and I have a guy like that you can look up to can you tell us how much that inspired you yeah, I think it was more about the the person that he was rather than the rugby player that that he had been. And I don't remember him as a rugby player, but him as a teacher at the time, he was just such a good person. He just had good values and good morals, and he was a good rugby coach as well. But um, it was more the the example he set to uh, to young men. I think at the time, there's you know there's a good bunch of us, and I know certainly I think he's been at Burnside over thirty years now. And he's he's influenced hundreds of hundreds of students that have gone through that school just by being a, a good person mm. and and having the simple things around caring for people and being kind to people yeah. and just doing the right thing. He's you know he's he sort of really uh, role models those behaviours. I'd imagine as much as proud when you're playing for for England or all the clubs you've played for, but you look back at not only what your parents have done for you but guys like that as well. It must be amazing, great. When he, I'm sure it must fill in with pride as well to see you out here in Japan maybe and watch you run around and think that he's been part of your journey as well. Yeah, I think so. I've had a, I've had messages from from his wife throughout my career. He's obviously not on uh, loads of social media or things like that, but his wife sort of sends me the odd encouraging email or mm-hmm. or message um, every now and then. And I know that they've sort of they've watched my career. Their own son, Tom Taylor, I played professional rugby with back in Christchurch at the time as well, and he went on to play for the All Blacks, and he's now playing in France. So you know they've been just really good people encouraging and supporting and you know just always keeping an eye on things as, as a young man growing up I could probably guess a few of these but can you tell us who you sort of looked up to the idols were for you when you were watching clearly rugby I'd imagine but there may have been other sports as well growing up in Christchurch you know my dream at the time was always to play for Canterbury and play for the Crusaders they were the the two local teams that you know I was I was super passionate about and and guys that played for for that team at the time was like Justin Marshall was the sort of big dog uh, scrum half at the time and I used to love watching him play super competitive um, Andrew Mertens was the, the fly half and again really competitive but you know used to be able to come up with big plays and games and sort of 
get get them out of trouble if we ever needed to. But I think looking at specifically nines, I've always been a, a big fan of watching as, as many nines as I can and, and just sort of seeing little bits and pieces that they do that you can kind of learn off. I was always a big fan of watching some of the French nines, guys like Dimitri Yashvili, mm. who can really control the game with their kicking and the flair that they bring to the game. You've got a guy like Matt Dawson, who was right on top of his game, passing, his running threat, obviously came up with that big play to, to set up the drop goal yeah. for, for Johnny as well. And and even you know guys like Gregan, who was just a terrific passer yeah. of the ball. Yeah. And, and again, a massive competitor. I think you've got to have a real sort of competitive spirit to be a nine. You've got to be egging your forwards on all the time and... Yeah, there's lots of people that I've tried to sort of learn off over the years. I want to touch on your, on your time with the Crusaders and, and Canterbury as well. I mean, you played with some amazing players, didn't you? So how, how many years were you with the, at Canterbury and with the Crusaders? Six or seven years, I think, Yeah, all up. Yeah, it was an awesome time, awesome yeah. time in my life. Like I said before, it was a, a dream of mine to play for those teams. So to, to achieve that that goal was, was pretty special. And to rub shoulders, like you say, with some of those amazing players was really cool. And, you know, amazing to play alongside the likes of Dan Carter, Richie McCaw, but then some of the sort of lesser-known names, guys like Corey Flynn, Andy Ellis, White Crockett, guys that are good mates now, but were just such good blokes, and they sort of really led the team, you know, by example. But they were were super caring, and they always put the team first. And that some of the, the biggest lessons I learnt was was just around that sort of team first mentality. Some huge names there in world rugby. We're keen to know them. But what was it inside you or your family? You know, it sounds to me you're playing rugby in Christchurch, you're running out with Dan Carter on a Saturday afternoon and stuff, but there's something inside of you that thinks, you know, I want to try something a bit different, I want to try and change this up a bit. Why would someone in that position look then to move to maybe come to England and join a club like Gloucester? Yeah, so I guess it goes back to my grandmother, really. She was English and she was brought up in a little place called Bishop's Waltham in Hampshire. And she met my grandfather in World War Two. He was in the New Zealand Navy, she was a Wren. She was down in Southampton and, and they met down there and hit it off pretty quickly, which was you know quite a common occurrence, I think, back in those days. And I think within the space of about two months, she was on a boat out to New Zealand. They, they got married and she moved out to New Zealand, which was a, a massive move for you know a, a young woman at that time. And a few years down the track, obviously, I arrived and um, my grandfather passed away when I was quite young. I was only five or six. And we just live, lived up the end of the street from my grandmother. So I was, I was really close close with her. And then towards the latter years of her life, she moved in with us. She um, sort of started to lose her sight in the last few years of her life. So she moved in with us and was just always really, really close with her. And one of the things that she sort of really passed on to me was just how passionate she was about England. Mm. You know, she lived a large portion of her life in New Zealand, but there was no mistaking where she was from and what she was about. And, you know, she was a very proud English woman and she was really into her sports as well. Perhaps that's where, that's where I got my sort of love for sport. Um, from was through her and she uh, you know was really into tennis and swimming and we used to sit down and watch a lot of rugby together as well and one of the things that she always said to me and and my sisters at the time was if you ever get the chance to go and experience England and live over there please go and do it because you know she just she was so proud of it and, and she loved it and so that was kind of always in the back of my mind from from a young age was to have that overseas opportunity in the UK um, and then when I met my wife and, and we started talking about sort of our future plans, that was something that was always there. We knew that um, obviously at the time I was I was playing in New Zealand, but we knew that we always wanted to come over and, and play in England. And when the opportunity came up with Gloucester, it was, you know, it was just perfect timing really. And, 
and off we went. How, how does Gloucester compare to Christchurch? It's a weird one. When when you first turn up, you're sort of. I, I was shocked with how green England was. I, you know, we we probably had a little bit of a perception in our head of. I don't know, Coronation Street and dark sort of <laughs> grey kind of uh, buildings and stuff. But, you know, we, we're sort of driving up the M4 towards the Cotswolds and we hit the Cotswolds and it's absolutely beautiful. Like yeah. it's, It was quite stunning. It sort of takes your breath away. And are there similarities between Christchurch and Gloucestershire? Not, probably not really, but they're both great places and we certainly enjoyed our life in Christchurch and, and yeah. now we're enjoying our life in Gloucestershire. Hi, this is Jack Noel, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast Road to Inside Line. More from Willie soon, but first, Ben Youngs has been finding out what Rory McConaughey would be plating up at his dream dinner party if the gloves were off and if he could have anything he wanted. So, Raw's opportunity to have a dinner party with three guests anywhere in the world. You can have whatever you want for starter, main, dessert. You do what you want. You just let it go. So firstly, my three guests. It's very left field and I don't know why I'm choosing it. But firstly, would be Jimmy Carr. I just think he's funny and it'd be incredible. He wouldn't rip into me because it'd be my party. It'd totally. Be, it'd be my guest, my other guest. And my other two guests would be my mate Crow. And, he's uh, in for a tough night. He's, in for, t- <laughs> he's in for a big tough night. And also my mate Harry Shepherd, who's a weird, weird bloke. But I think we'd get along weirdly with, uh, yeah, with Jimmy and Crow. Sounds good. Uh, um, location, I love Cape Town as a city, so it'd probably be on there. I'd probably, I'd yeah. Let's go top of tabletop mountain, sunset. It's it's going great. Well, um, we? Yeah, we'll go that, and then we'll go first course chicken wings. I love them. It's my favourite food. Bit, bit of a mixture where it's buffalo barbecue, whatever, whatever you want. Maybe a bit of Asian spice in there. Main course, I will be going with steak and chips. Very easy, very stereotypical, but I love it. What sauce would you have with your steak? I'd go Bernays sauce. Great choice. With a medium rare steak, and I'm going French fries, not triple cooked. Fantastic. Chips. I don't want the thick chip, I want French fries. And no veg. Dessert, I'm going apple crumble with just tons of custard. Yeah. And not a lot of apple, mostly crumble. Love so it. So crumble and custard. Happy day. <laughs> beer, wine, what would you Um have? I'd go beer, yeah. A massive fan of beer and, and then cider. Happy days. <laughs> And, and music, who's playing? Music, we'll go, we'll go the Foo Fighters acoustic set. Wow. Do you reckon yeah. they'll keep the noise down though? I can't I imagine think, it. But I think, yeah, I think they'll just keep raising. I think yeah. by the end of the night, Dave Grohl love his top off. It'll be incredible. Sounds very good, mate. <laughs> Some solid choices there, Rory. More now from Willie and Paul. Tell us about your England call-up then as well, because you got the call-up, you joined England camp, and then there was a period of kind of there or thereabouts and stuff. So can you tell us about that first bit when you first got the call from Eddie or knew that you were effectively on the cusp or being considered? Yeah, so it was uh, end of the 2017 season, I think it was. We'd just played a Challenge Cup final up in Edinburgh and I woke up on Sunday morning with a little bit of a sore head. <laughs> we'd lost, unfortunately, so we'd sort of drowned our sorrows a little bit. Um, and got the call from uh, David Humphreys our director of rugby to saying that you've been included in the the camp down in Brighton for three days which came as a, a, a big surprise but I mean I was obviously super super excited to get down there and it was an awesome camp it was a, a great insight for me into what the next level looks like and to I guess rub shoulders with some of the the top England players at the time and um after that camp, I had a little bit of correspondence with Eddie, not loads. He was happy with how I went at the time, but obviously I was sort of still down the list a little bit, I guess. And then over the next couple of years, I sort of struggled with injury quite a bit, off and on, 
never really managed to string loads of games together and and I guess put myself in the frame with sort of consistent performances and so then on the back of last season where I managed to have a a relatively injury-free season and Gloucester were playing well and we'd gotten to the finals I I got a message from Eddie back into the season just saying that he'd been watching my progress and that he'd be in touch which was again was a pretty awesome text to receive Mm. Um, and then from there after we finished up the season obviously we lost in the semi to Saris but Got a message again after that saying that I was going to be involved in the training camps, which was awesome, and, uh, and it's been a bit of a roller coaster ever since. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's an amazing story. You don't have to give us explicit detail, but how does that work? Because once Eddie's been in touch, I'm sure he's kind of regularly in touch. You're right, giving you a bit of feedback on your performance with Gloucester and stuff, and you probably should work on this. Is that how it works? Is he in touch? Are you giving you kind of constant feedback? I think it's a little bit different for for different players, but. I got the initial message and then got a follow-up email from the, the management just saying that the coaches were holding some one-on-one meetings. Mm-hmm. So we had those meetings down in Bristol and, and then you kind of get more of an insight into why you're in the frame and, and what they're looking at and, and also some things that they'd like to see a bit more on your game or added to your game. So that kind of gave me a clear picture of, of what Eddie and the coaches were after from me. So the last few games of the season, I was able to go out with a, a you know a nice clear head and just go and play my game and and see where it took me. How would you say your games improved? What areas would you say that maybe you've gained confidence? Is it your fitness since you've been on that on the radar? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I think firstly the the thing that Eddie and and the coaches do amazingly well here is they keep things really simple for you. And and as a player, when you're when you're out there in the heat of the moment, you just want to know what your role is and you and you want to be able to go out and execute and. And that's what I've loved um, that Eddie's been able to give me is just really clear focus on, on what he needs. And, and that's just around the bread and butter of, of a scrum half. And, and that's your passing and your kicking. Start your game with that. Make sure that those things are, are top notch and then other things will happen on the back of it. And I guess the other, the other side of it being in this environment is that we, we train really, really hard. Some of the training sessions that we've done here have, um, you know, been some of the most challenging of my career. But with that comes greater fitness and and greater confidence in your own game. But the other side of it is that you get the best chance to be the best professional you can be with the resources that are available to us through mm. our recovery, our analysis, all those sorts of things. It really is a world class environment, and I guess just to be able to wake up every day and know that you can go out and. It's in your hands if you want to be the, the best version of yourself, basically. Yeah, fantastic. Winding forward to just before we came to Japan then, like to the sort of camp and to Bristol days and those sort of things. Is it true that you found out you were selected to come to Japan by just being included in a WhatsApp group? Is it? Yeah, there is. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble saying that, but it was really. So basically we played that, that first warm-up test match against Wales and then we woke up the next day and there was kind of, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure of the timeline, but... There was a bus leaving to Bristol to prepare as the 31 or you were getting a taxi home effectively and it was more not getting a message was probably the the best thing and then sort of boarded the bus looking around thinking, am I I meant to be on this bus? No one's told me no so I'm just going to sneak on hopefully Um, and then as we were sort of driving down the the motorway to Bristol a, a WhatsApp group was created and that was kind of confirmation that you were in. (laughs) <laughs> and and then to, to be fair, yeah. once we got to Bristol, we sat in a team meeting and they played the uh, the thirty one video with yeah. um, little messages from home, which was which was a pretty awesome way to present it officially. Yeah. Fantastic! Yeah. And now clearly, here we are. We're sat in Japan. How have you found Japan? What have you made of the reception, the culture, and way we've been treated since we've been here? Yeah, it's a brilliant place, isn't it? I, I sort of wasn't quite sure what to expect. I'd never been here before. 
the things that I was I was writing an email to a mate the other day actually who was asking me what it was like the things that I love so far about it is just how clean and tidy it is mm. like you walk into a hotel room or a, into a restaurant or a swimming pool and everything's just so clean all the time they, they tidy up after themselves and the people are so polite so welcoming really kind and I love the toilets oh how good are they the toilets, are, well, you're going to have to explain that because the people won't know about the whole yeah. toilet situation in Tokyo, well, but give, give us some detail. Yeah, I don't want to go into too much gory detail, yeah. but basically they have the... Toilets are all kind of automatic, aren't they? Yeah. Depending on where you are, they sort of get flasher and flasher, but sometimes you walk in and it senses that you're there and the seat opens up, which is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. You don't have to touch anything. And then you sit down and it's nice and heated and warm. <laughs> um, and then you do what you need to do. And then you've got an option to clean yourself, basically. Yeah. Well, With, the machine does it for you. Don't yeah, clean the yourself. Machine, the yeah, machine you, does it you for you. You push a button and it, yeah. and it cleans you. And I don't think you really know how clean you can be until you've used <laughs> one of these things. They're fantastic. Uh, the boys it's a miracle. Why, why we haven't got them in other parts of the world, I've no idea. I've no idea because yeah. it, it makes sense. I've been in one that has music within it as well. Yeah. You press the button, a little music accompaniment. I don't know if that's to drown things out. I've got I no think idea. it is. I, I think that's called the privacy uh, button, yeah, yeah. isn't it? So that other people don't have to listen to you. And or other ones I've seen. I mean, yeah. it's got everything you can think of around that yeah. sort of sphere of, yeah. of your life. It could be a potential business opportunity for us. Willie, I'm yeah. in, mate. Back Tell in me where, how much you're yeah. after, and I'll invest because <laughs> I think... Um, um, so in Japan, who have you been rooming with so far? Tell us about the relationships and how well it's gone or maybe some guys that need to do some work. I've been rooming either with Ben Youngs or Owen Farrell, so I've been okay. pretty well looked after there. Yeah. Um, I don't have any sort of overweight snoring Fords or anything at the moment, so I've yeah. dodged that bullet. Um, and Owen Farrell's got this wonderful bit of kit. It's like a, uh, what do you call it, a oil diffuser. Oh, and yeah, it, yeah, I've heard yeah, about this. Yeah, it yeah. makes the room smell absolutely terrific. Yeah. 2019 rugby's changed a lot right you know rugby players think people think of rugby players as these kind of like brash rough guys out of Canterbury out of kind of like you know South Auckland roughy toughies but you're into your diffusers and your oils and stuff is that, that be well just every of? every little bit counts doesn't it we've yeah. got we've got four different oils to choose from we've got uh, one that we can put on in the morning which is like a, a wake up the senses kind of one we've got one in the evening for um, helping you get to sleep and we've got a de-stress one as well that we can kind of have on during the day if Nice. I've had a tough training session or whatever, we can just get back and just zone out for a little bit. You and Owen Farrell aromatherapy happening. And does it work? I mean, importantly, like things like sleep, like lavender, I'd imagine they use lavender. Yeah, it does, yeah. Does it work for you to help you kind of t- take the edge I off? I think and, so. Whether yeah. it's placebo effect, I don't know, but it seems to yeah. be working. Yeah. Well, like you say, whatever it takes. Yeah. Give us an insight into what, you, what you're into away from rugby then, just to take it all down and chill out. Well, I've got three kids, so they sort of keep us pretty busy. Rugby is a pretty time-consuming and and can be quite sort of emotionally consuming as well, mm. whether it's um, with with club or country, really. So it's cool just to be able to go home and, and try and invest as much time as I can in them. I've got two girls, Finn and Charlie, and then my son Moss, who's five. So we're pretty busy with them. They're, they're all got their own little interests now. Mm. Finn's into her football, and she's doing really well in school. Charlie's pretty keen on gymnastics at the moment. And, uh, and Moss has just started starting on rugby as well, so he's he's just had his first game in the weekend. We tried to take him along to football actually last year, but he just kept picking it up the whole time. So oh, natural, yeah, absolutely delighted yeah, with that. Born into yeah. as well. Have you got any other hobbies away from that, or are you into box sets? Do you listen to music anything like that? Yeah, I'm not, I'm certainly not a gamer. There's quite a few gamers in this team, um, so I, I stay away from um, video games. But enjoy enjoy a bit of Netflix or 
Amazon Prime every now and then. Um, what are you watching? Anything particular at the moment? Any box sets that are kind of getting you going? But to be honest, the, the ones I love the most are probably like the BBC sort of um, police dramas, those sorts oh, of things. Okay. Like right. um, Line of Duty I loved. What was the other one? Bodyguard was brilliant. Yeah. And then Owen Farrell and I just started last night. The Capture, which was gripping. And are you a yeah. bit of a binger? Were you kind of like smash two or three out? Or you kind of like, we'll watch one. I mean, I wouldn't get the, get the oils on, put the diffuser on, it's time to go to bed, or you, you smash out three or four, yeah, cram them. Yeah, sort of download them and, and try yeah. and smash them out as much as I can. The and I then have. I guess the other big hobbies away from family and stuff is probably golf for me. Love, okay. Yeah, I love golf. You got a handicap? Do you play a decent game? or I just try to have as high a handicap as I can when I go out with mates, <laughs> and then usually I can win. <laughs> <laughs> but like a casual golfer, you know, because some of the guys are pretty good, aren't they? I don't know if you've been around yeah. like Jamie, George, and... Yeah, no, we, we managed to sneak in nine holes on Saturday, actually. I try to get out as much as I can, but it is probably kind of a, a selfish game a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. It's four, four or five hours on a day off. I go, say to Soph, I'm going to hit up and play golf. It's kind yeah. of like, oh, come on. It's a tough one at home <laughs> when you've got three kids. Oh, I imagine. Well, I, I, I know it is. And what would be your dream sporting ticket? If you could go to any sport anywhere in the world and just go and watch something? Yeah, I've had a few on the bucket list. I've only managed to tick one off so far, and that was a, a state of origin rugby league game mm-hmm. in Aussie. I'm really keen to get along to Wimbledon because I do love tennis. Wimbledon and also the Australian Open tennis as well mm. in Melbourne would be really cool. I'd love to go to the Masters. Yeah, they would probably be the big ones for me. Big retirement plan coming together. I yeah. can see that there. Yeah. Willie, when you reflect on the last four years and so 2015 sort of made your way over from New Zealand to Gloucester. Gloucester, uh, I won't put it all down to you, but they, they've had a big turnaround, haven't they, in the last three or four years as well. And clearly last season, very frustrating that they weren't there, but there or thereabouts, and obviously big things this season as well. Then you get your England call-up as well. How, how do you reflect on all that? How do you feel about all of that? Yeah, it's been been a bit of a ride, to be honest. The first couple of years at Gloucester, you could sense that we had the, the makings of a good team there, but we probably just lacked a little bit of maybe cohesion through the squad and maybe just a little bit of direction and exactly how we wanted to play the game. And I think since uh, Johan has come in and also the likes of Danny Cipriani has, has been good for us there as well, Matt Banahan and also the South African signings that we've made coupled with you know the bulk of the squad that the club have been able to retain, we're starting to see the, the fruits mm. of our labour last season. Big challenge for us now is to go another step and, and try and get a home semi-final and, and really put ourselves in a position to to go and win the thing so I know that the boys have worked really hard through the pre-season they've, they've kept me updated with what's going on there so be looking forward to ripping back into that when, when we do get back there Club rugby's going very well but then your journey now when you look back of you know, getting on Eddie's radar and then actually being here in Japan now does it feel like a dislocated dream in some ways or have you got managed to get your head around it all? Yeah it does a little bit I think I have got my head around it now I sort of needed to I was a little bit early on like probably like a deer in the headlights a little bit just sort of coming to the environment and seeing all these guys that I've been watching playing for England for, for the last few years and just trying to, I guess, embed yourself in and, and find your little place with, yeah. within the team and, and how you can add value. And no, look, it has been a whirlwind sort of few months, but I'm absolutely loving it. I feel super privileged to be here and I'm just trying to make the most of it and contribute where I can I'd imagine that I don't know if you're, you're a guy that believes in fate and those sort of things as well but with your your grand sort of looking over your shoulder and all that as well is there part of you that at times sort of would imagine that she'd be immensely proud of you and what you've achieved and fulfilling a bit of her dream as well yeah a little bit no she she passed away a few years back but I know that she would be massively massively proud and I can see that through 
the rest of the family as well and just how, how proud they are and, and all of them coming to me and saying, oh, gosh, she'd be so proud of you today mm. if, she, if she could see you doing what you're doing. And in many respects, it's it's brought parts of my family that had kind of drifted away closer together as well. And, yeah, no, it's cool. And uh, we're, just, we're just all trying to make the most of it. That's brilliant. Thanks a lot, Willie. Nice one, thanks. And that's it, the O2 Inside Line on Willie Hines. A big thanks to Willie for being our guest and sharing so much of us. And thanks as well to his teammates, Rory McConaughey and Ben Youngs. I know everyone asks you to do this, but if you're enjoying what we're bringing you this series, please leave us a rating and a review. And if you do this before the end of this series, you could win a signed shirt from the players. Simply leave us a review of your name on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and we'll pick a winner at the end of this series. Join us again next week for another exclusive sit-down with one of the England stars. But for now, thanks for lending us your ears, and we'll catch you again next time.